When the enemy comes to us, he doesn't just come and, and, and just go, hi, let me just try to tempt you, you know. He First, he taps you on the shoulder and, and he whispers something wicked in your ear. And it might be very silent, but if you listen to it, it will begin to grow and it will begin to get very large. And pretty soon you're going to be dealing with a Goliath who is threatening you and who is puffing himself up and making himself large, right? That's what the devil does to us. So let's go back to verse um, 8. He stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, choose now a man for yourself and let him come down to me. In other words, he set forth a challenge. I want, it's going to be a one-on-one battle. You get your best man, and I'm going to come down, and we're going to fight in the valley here. And whoever wins, they'll take everything, okay? Verse 10, and the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. One man's words, one man's words, set everybody on edge and made them all afraid. They were trembling in their boots. And here was Saul, the leader, and he was trembling in his boots because really he was the one that should have went down to fight him. He was the one, by all accounts, that should have been the one to fight Goliath. And he was withdrawn, and he was afraid. And so you have a scene here of two armies, one not really knowing what to do, afraid as could be, and the other one arrogant and boastful and wanting to come down and plunder Israel. But God had a different plan. Now, In order to understand how David, because after this part of the story, David's going to come down and he's going to confront Goliath. But in order to understand how David could do this, we have to go backward into the next chapter before that. We have to understand who David was and how he got that way. Because David didn't just, and I'll probably be repeating this, David didn't just fight Goliath. He ran at Goliath. Okay, and And David, at the time, was only 17 years old because in the army you had to be 20 to be up there in the army where all the rest of them were. David was younger than 20. He was the least in his family. So let's go back to chapter 16. And let's read a little bit. Um, Verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to to, to Samuel, Samuel was the prophet of the day. How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among sons. So Saul was the people's choice because of his stature, his outward appearance. He was a head taller than all the rest. David was God's choice. Psalm 78, 70 says, God chose David his servant, and he took him from the sheepfold, from following the ewes and the young. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. And so the Lord chooses, I mean, the Lord, the man chooses after the outward appearance. 
When I look at you and anybody out here and you look at each other, you'll judge by that person's outward appearance. I don't really like your hair. I don't, I don't, I don't think your hair should be blonde. I, don't, I think that you should be this way. Or I think that, you know, I don't like that dirty look you gave me. Whatever it is, we judge by the outward appearance. We don't know the heart of the person. We don't know that they didn't have a bad day. We don't know that they didn't cut us off in traffic on accident, right? I always do, you know, want to say, tell people, you know, who are you to cut me off, lady? <laughs> My poor kids, sometimes they sit there and I say things. But not, not, not mean, just like, I, I, Chris does this too. She'll, 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 <laughs> sorry, Maggie. She makes names for the car. You know, she's like, whatever kind of car it is, she'll, she'll start calling a name after the car. Oh, big red man, get out of my way. <laughs> so we do all kinds of things like that. But we don't really know that, you know, I've cut people off and didn't know it. And all of a sudden, there's someone driving by flipping me off. You know, I'm like, what did I do? I don't know what I did. Wow, that person really doesn't like me, you know. So man judges after man, after the outward appearance. And yet God he judges after the heart. The heart, I can't see, cherish, I can't see your heart unless I get to know you intimately. And see, the Lord has knit us in our mother's womb. He knows us intimately. He has the very hairs of our head numbered. He knows our days. He knows our beginning. He knows our end. And so he knew David, and he knew that David had a heart of integrity, and a heart that was quick to repent. David was always quick to repent when he knew he was in sin. He did not want to have a rift between him and God. And that is the criteria that God chooses. And so how much more should we want to have a heart that wants to seek and fully be given over to the Lord? Amen? We always want to keep our heart pure before him, that when we know we have sinned or when we know we have, have erred in God or done something wrong, that we would not puff ourselves up in pride like Goliath did, but that we would be like David and like Jesus, who was humble. Jesus was so humble that he came to the earth as a man. He was the God of everything. He was the king of the universe. He made all the stars and the moon and everything else, and yet he humbled himself and became a man so that we could be saved, so that we could have fellowship with God in heaven. And so God looks after the heart, and this is what is going to happen right here, and we're going to see how Samuel went. He was mourning over Saul because he had anointed Saul, and he was wallowing in it, and God said, how long are you going to do this? get up. I've, I've already chosen somebody. What are you doing? Get your horn of oil and go. I'm going to tell you what to do. And so Saul got up and he got his stuff and he was going to, he told, and the Lord told him exactly how to do it. He said, take a heifer. You're going to have a feast. Get the, get Jesse, get Jesse's sons, invite them to the feast. Jesse is the father of David. There were eight, eight kids. David was the youngest, and go to the feast, and I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. So let's go back to, um, let's go to uh, verse, um, verse 5 uh, of chapter 16, 1 Samuel. And he said, 
peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. What was he looking at? The outward man. This is the prophet doing this. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Thank God, really, because I don't think we're ever going to be perfect enough on the outside for everybody to like us. Verse 8, so Jesse called Abinadab and said, make, and made him pass before Samuel the prophet. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shammah passed by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these, are these all the young men here? Is this, is this all you have? And he says, There remains yet the youngest. And there he is, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes. David, so they sent for him, and now he was ready with bright eyes and good-looking. And he said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. So we find that David had... Uh, heart after God. His name means beloved. He was the youngest in the family, which means he was of very low regard. He was tending sheep, which means his family was not quite wealthy, because if they were wealthy, they would have had a servant out there. Instead, they had, they had him doing the grunt work. David was not even included. He wasn't even included in the sacrificial feast. He wasn't even invited to the party. He was not mentioned by name, and he was only called because Samuel insisted that he come. And yet he was the one anointed. Now, at this time, he was anywhere between 10 and 15 years old. But what did David do after this? You know, we think to ourselves, and, you know, he was anointed in front of all of his brothers. They could have gotten jealous. We don't know. And instead of him being thrust into some magnanimous, you know, trumpets singing and Ah, oh, here's the king. Everybody lay down everything you have and let him come forth. What happened? He went back to the sheepfold. And I want to hang out in this wilderness place because this is where he learns how to conquer Goliath. Goliath would have never happened if David wasn't in the wilderness learning what he learned. He would have never led Israel because he learned how to lead sheep. Everything he learned in the wilderness, he used to conquer Goliath. And so we cannot despise those days. And what the Lord ministered to me is that Jesus, when he went to the cross, and this, this is so good here, I want to I read some of this, but when Jesus, he's our, he is our teacher, Jesus. We, he, we follow him. Jesus came, he went to the cross, what did he do? He was born for one thing, to die, to pay for the sins of the earth. We do not have to die to pay for the sins of the earth, but we have to pick up our cross, and we have to die to our flesh. 
and what he ministered to me is that Jesus in the garden was where he, if he didn't have the garden where he sweat blood, where he conquered the temptation to ditch the cross, that's where he, that's where he conquered that temptation. And we, in the same way, conquer our temptation when we are on our face before God, allowing him to work through us, giving him our weaknesses and giving him even our disappointments and the things that we would want for the will of God. And I want to I read in Luke where Jesus is in the garden. Um, Luke 22. I'm going to hang out here for a minute, and we'll go back to where we were. Um, Okay, Uh, coming out, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you would not enter into temptation. Here's Jesus on his greatest hour of need, and he's saying, you pray so that you don't enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from, there, from them about a stone's throw away, and he knelt down and prayed. And he said, Father, if it's, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And really in the wilderness place, because we're all, as a Christian, we will all be sent there. We will have seasons of being there. And the sooner that we just embrace the place that we're in, is the sooner that God will bring that wind that we need and that grace that we need to be where we're at and to receive what he has for us to receive there. But there's a key here. First of all, we pray so that we don't enter into temptation. When I go and I pray in intercessory prayer, and by the way, we, all, we have intercessory prayer every Sunday night. I believe this, that it should be, there should be more people in that prayer room than there are in this, in this uh, sanctuary because our ministry and what we do in God will not go further than our prayer life. When, when we pray and intercede, we are literally praying with the tongues of angels. When you pray in tongues, that's a tongue of an angel. They understand when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit's praying through us, and he builds us up at the same time in our most holy faith. So all of those little stones that the devil is laying in our path ahead of us, he's moved, the Lord is removing them as we pray. And, and, and the Lord says he wants to encourage us, and he says to watch and pray even more so as you see the day approaching. The day of what? The day of the Lord. How many of you know the day of the Lord is approaching? Darkness in this earth is darker. Things are happening that are winding up the end of the age. Jesus is coming back soon. We know that. We should be living like that. Amen? And so Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he tells them to pray. And he says, um, Then the angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, because he sweat drops of blood. He so travailed to have to go to that cross. But that cross was conquered in this place. And the angel strengthened him. And he said that the key to the wilderness, the key to the wilderness place is right here. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. It's always about our will. It's always about us submitting and submitting and submitting to God in the direction he's leading us. Because it's not my will, it's his will. 
And so sometimes we are in this place where we find we're dry or we're, we're, we don't know where we're at, and the Lord is wanting to speak to us. He's wanting us to get on our face and pray. He's wanting to bring revelation, and he's wanting to unlock things within us so that we can say to him, okay, God, not my will, but your will. I will go your way. And then we submit. Our walk with the Lord is a continual walk of submitting and submitting and humbling and submitting and saying, yes, Lord, I will do it, Lord. I will go this way because your word says. Amen? Then the angel appeared and strengthened them. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then he sweat, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer and had, and had come to the disciples, he found them sleeping with sorrow. And he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. He tells them twice, rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. Why? Because he knew they were going to be tempted. He knew they were going to betray him. He told Peter, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he wanted them to pray because maybe it wouldn't have happened. Maybe they wouldn't have denied him. But instead, they all fled. They freaked out. They all ran away, all of them. And they left Jesus alone in his darkest hour. And so prayer is very important for us, that we would pray that we would be on our face. And he tells us even more to watch and pray, to watch and pray. And I I believe that it's time for the church to rise. He tells them they had sorrow. It was a dark hour. They fell asleep. And how much more in the hour that we are in that it's tempting to sleep, especially the Western church. There's, we have more martyrs in this time that we live in than any time in the, in the history of the earth. More martyrs, more people are being killed for Jesus. And we in the West, we're so inoculated by television and the things that are, our lives are going 100 miles an hour. And yet the Lord says, stop, watch, and pray, and wake up. And the Lord is wanting us as a church to wake up. And not to pray because I feel like it. Gee, I feel like going today. Do you, do you realize I never want to come on Sunday night? I mean, let's be, just be honest. Chris, do you ever want to come? No, you know what I do? I've made a decision. Prayer is important, period. Watching and praying is not an option. I just do it because I just do it. And I say to myself, I'm going to go. I, coming to church is not an option for me not to come, to, to abandon church and fellowship with God's people. I made a decision, and we have to make a decision. And then when it comes time where we're tempted to just stay home and watch, I don't, I don't know, whatever we watch, 90-day fiancé, whatever horrid thing we watch. You know what I'm saying? The Kardashians, I don't know. Whatever it is you guys like. Gee, that's so tempting. You know, we have DVR, too. You can DVR something if it's that important. You just get up, put your little sweats on, and you come down to prayer. Or you get up, and you go into your living room, and you give the Lord a little bit of time. And even more so as we see things drawing to a close, because the Lord, he's coming swiftly. He's really, really coming, you guys. He is, he is, this is the midnight hour. Okay, so we're moving on. Okay, so he learned 
God's faithfulness in the wilderness when nobody was looking. So what happened in the wilderness? God wants to do the same thing with us. The Lord brings us there to show us his power, his provision, and care. He produces humility, gratefulness, and thankfulness. So I'm going to read Deuteronomy 8, 2, and 3. You guys can follow me or write it down. This is Israel. Israel was taken out. Now, Israel came out of Egypt. They had been there so long serving other gods. That, that confrontation that happened in Egypt with Pharaoh and God was a confrontation of gods because Pharaoh was called a god. He was considered a god. So when the god of the universe, the I am, came in the scene, he was, he was confronting that god, their god that they served. And he was saying, Israel, those are my people. They're not going to serve this God anymore. And he came and he confronted that with the plagues. And they came out, but why did they come out? What does it tell us? He tells us, I want you, Moses, to bring them out. Tell Pharaoh they're going to come out to worship me and to sacrifice to me. Because in Egypt, they were worshiping Pharaoh by doing his bidding, and they were sacrificing their children and all that they had to him. And God was fed up to hear. And he was telling them, I want them to come out. And I'm going to bring, and now here's these people. They had been so long there. They did not understand anything about God. They didn't, they they hadn't seen his miracles. They didn't really know who he was. They didn't understand. And so God was wanting to bring them out to show who he was by bringing them out with silver and gold. That provision was for them to build a temple, I mean a tabernacle, and to build the, the, the Ark of the Covenant and to build the things for God's kingdom. He gave them that, and then he asked it of them, and only those that freely wanted to give it came to give it up. But God provides for himself. You know what I'm saying? So they came out. You're going to bring them out, and I'm going to show them who I am. And then I'm going to, and here's what he says here in verse 2. He says, I brought you there to humble you. I allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you didn't know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And so, and then if you keep reading here, he basically tells them, I want you to, I wanted to see if you'd keep my commandments. I want to show you who I am, and I want you to, to see if you would keep my commandments. And then he said, I, I'm going to bring you into a very wealthy place, full provision, everything you could ever need. That's where I'm bringing you. And yet they went in, and we know the story. So in the same with us, when he brings us into the wilderness, it's not even have to be that bad of a place if we would just embrace it. See, David embraced going back to the sheep. It's what he knew. He embraced it and everything that it meant. And yet... When, he, when God brings us into a place that seems dry, it's, we're being humbled because we make, make ourselves stay there. And we wait upon him. See, when you wait upon God, there's a humbling in it because you can't fix things. You can't do it. You can't make it happen. You just have to wait until he does. And so you're at the, be, you're at the mercy of God. And yet God has been proven faithful and loyal, and we can trust him. We can trust him. He is faithful. Okay, so Jesus was directed into the wilderness to be tested of the devil. And when he came out, he was anointed, and he performed his first miracle. Remember that? 
And Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Even Jesus, when he came, when he was in the wilderness, he didn't just say something to Satan. He quoted the word. And he fought him off three times. It's hard to believe that Jesus was tempted like that and that he and that he that he was sent there to be tempted and yet when he came out he came out with power and that's how we are we submit to the lord we allow him to change us to do whatever he wants to do in us we come out with power and with anointing and an increase in in the goods that he has given us amen so david embraced the wilderness four things happened there number 1 he was alone with god He could not rely on others for what only God could give. God became his all. He learned how to dig his own wells, and he learned who God was. And when I I was reading this, it reminded me of Dominic, and I hope he can, you can let me, I'll share your story. Sorry, Dominic. I'm really picking on you guys. That's my nephew, so I can, I feel like I have a right to pick on him. But anyway, (laughs) we don't want to be alone. And we definitely don't like to be alone, and it's just us and God, right? What would happen if all of our, our um, technical stuff was just, all of our, was just gone? Our phone was gone. I mean, my gosh, when somebody's phone is gone, they you panic. Where's my phone? Oh my gosh, where's my phone? I do that. And then Daniel puts some thing on it, and it dings. He did that to Jewel in a store. She wouldn't respond to him by calling. She wouldn't call, answer the phone, so he... What did he do? He put that find my phone thing on there. So we're shopping, and it's like, bump, bump, bump. We're like, what's happening? <laughs> so what would happen if all of our technology was gone? It would be very quiet, and it would be hard at first. This is what happened when they went in the wilderness. They, had, they didn't have the food they were used to, even though all they had was leeks and, and, and honey or onions or something. I mean, who cares about that? I mean, okay, so they're, they're out in the wilderness. They, that's the same thing. All of a sudden, they had nothing. All of a sudden, it was dead. It was quiet and dead as a doorknob. And if, that, if we had no technology, it would be quiet. We would have to figure out what to do. It's like when the lights go out, you can't turn the TV on, and you just get, oh. I could pray. Oh, I don't want to pray. And it takes about, you know, by the time you decide to pray, the lights come on, you know. <laughs> what happens to me anyway so being alone with god that's where you learn to dig wells and so dominic when he was homeschooled and i know cherish you did homeschooling and daniel's done that too and it's it can be lonely and so he found himself lonely and alone but you know what he did he had to press in he had to dig his own wells and he he began to get on his drums and he began to play his drums and he began to learn about God, and he began to read his Bible, and he began to dig his own well. Nobody could dig that for him. Daniel does the same thing. He'll go in his room, and he'll play his keyboard. And because he's done that, he's learned how to get into the presence of God in worship. And it's like Rachel was saying, we don't need the trappings of all those things. We could, if, because I can't play an instrument. I, I'm not a very good singer, but I have two hands that can clap together. And I have a voice that can sing by myself, and I can even dance if I want. And I can worship God, and I can bring the presence of God because he inhabits the praises of his people. It doesn't say he inhabits 
the instrument or and he inhabits you know if we have all this up here and people up here helping us although this is wonderful when we get together we cannot rely on that what happens when it's all gone what happened to Carrie Ten Boom when she was in a, a concentration camp? And, she, you know, she, she sacrificed. She, they could have gotten killed just by her smuggling her Bible in. That's how important it was. But when she found herself in that place, she worshipped. She encouraged people. She, du- she had already dug her own well. She had something to give. But when we have nothing, that's when we have to know who God is. We have to know who he is, not just of him. We have to know him. And so being alone with God, that's what David did. He's out in the wilderness all by himself. He didn't have anybody. He had the sheep. He got to know the sheep. He probably named every sheep. The shepherds in those days, those sheep were intimately known. They were numbered. He knew when one was gone. He knew when one needed help. He had, they, they, they knew when one was missing. I mean, they knew the sheep because they were out there all by themselves. I think I, think I would have my sheep all named too, wouldn't you? I love my dogs. Those are my friends when I have no one. Okay, so Song of Solomon, I want to read one thing here. Are you guys okay? Okay, good. Um, Song of Solomon is a love story. It's the love book, Right? Verse 1, by night on my bed I sought the one I loved. I sought him, but I did not find him. I will rise now, I said, and I will go about the city in the streets and in the squares, and I will seek the one whom I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. This is the thing. He tells us the Lord's at the door knocking. If anyone open, I will come into him. You know, knock, seek. We don't stop. She didn't stop. She went to where she normally found the one she loved, but he wasn't there. And she didn't just stop and go, oh, woe is me. I didn't find him. I'm going to go back to my little place. No, she didn't do that. She kept going. Verse 3, the watchmen who go about the city, they found me, and I said, have you seen the one that I love? And they scarcely had she passed by them, When she found the one she loved, she held him and would not let him go until she brought him to the house of her mother unto the chamber of her who conceived him. And so here's this one. She's seeking the one she loved. She went to the place. And don't we do that? We go to the place we found God before, and all of a sudden everything's dry. You pick up the word of God. Oh, my gosh, it's dry. What's happening? You try everything. You've tried nothing. Do you quit? No. She went past the watchmen. We have to go past the ones. I mean, you have to go. We have to go past Pastor Anthony. We have to go. The one that you look up to in God, you have to go past them. They cannot be the one that teaches all the time. We have to know who he is. We have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. When you are before God, you will be alone. I won't have Stuart. I won't have... You're alone. And when you're in that desert place, when you're there, you know you're alone. You know that it's you and God. And everything in you has to seek him. Because it's not until she passed by those leaders, those ones that were at the gates, those watchmen, that she finally found the one whom she loved. Jesus sometimes wants to be chased, you guys. What happens when, uh, uh, when, when you're in love with somebody? The woman likes to be chased. 
then sometimes they'll just go, oh, no, I don't. Oh, thank you. I'm, and they, they just play this game. It's a game. I know Julia did that with Joey. <laughs> it was all a plan. He doesn't know. Sorry, Joey. <laughs> she caught him. <laughs> but Jesus wants to be chased. He wants to be fresh. He wants it to be wonderful. We are his, he, we are his love. We're the love of his life. He wants us to run after him. And so this woman ran after her lover, and she finally found him, and she wouldn't let him go. So what else does he do? He spreads a banquet table in the wilderness, and with his word, he spreads out the bread of life in the wilderness. Uh, Psalm 23, 5, you know, David wrote, uh, I think, 70, between 73 and 75 of the Psalms, of all the Psalms. And so he knew God, and he, and he wrote those psalms out of his experience. And he said in Psalm 23, 5, he says, You prepare uh, a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. So David, in the wilderness, knew and understood that he wasn't alone. He had the sheep, but he also had God with him. And he was grateful, and his cup ran over. And sometimes we, we look at the cup half full instead of, how does it go? Half empty. How does it work? Okay. Instead of full, we look at it the wrong way, right? We look at it the wrong way. And David didn't do that. And sometimes we need to have an adjustment in the way we see things. Instead of being um, with a, 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 the lens of, of a negative or a woe is me or a victim mentality, we have, no, I've chosen to serve God. And this is where God leads. I am favored of the Lord. And I am, my cup is running over. I don't have lack. I have abundance. I have, he owns the sheep, the the cattle on a thousand hills. And he is mine and I am his. So I own the cattle on a thousand hills. And if he wants to give it to me, he will. So far right now, he hasn't. But then he says he doesn't withhold any good thing, right? Right? So it must not be good for me yet. And so, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. Okay, we'll move on a little bit. I want to get through it. So, number two, he worshipped on his instrument. No other instruments helping him get in the presence of God. So he was blessed. He blessed the Lord with what he had in his hand. And he honed his talent at the same time. And so David, we know, was a minstrel. We know that, that Saul, when he uh, was rejected as king, an evil spirit came upon him. And Saul knew, this is so uh, wonderful, Saul himself knew that he needed a minstrel. And he knew that if he could get a minstrel, this, this icky feeling he had, this evil spirit, this heaviness would leave him. So, so somebody go find me a minstrel. Somebody who knows how to worship. And it's the same for us. When we make ourselves worship God when we don't want to, the presence of God comes and the the icky feeling or the evil spirit or the heaviness has to go. Because that cannot stay where God inhabits. Amen? And so David, David learned how to hone his instrument. He learned how to play. He learned he knew how to get into the presence of God. And probably those sheep all sat around basking, you know, when my dog, when we're at my house, what are they, does not my dogs lay in the middle of the carpet? When we're all in a circle at my house for a connect group or for a prayer group, they come and pass out right there because they want to be there. 
And I'm sure all those sheep wanted to be with David with the worship of God because they know God. Animals know. They, you know, it's before the rocks cry out. We have to worship. The earth is groaning for the sons of God to come forth. Number three, he was in the service of the sheepfold. Humility. He looked to the needs of others by serving. When you don't know what to do, what your hands to do, you just serve. When you don't know what to do, you say, what's in my hand? What can I do? He had no self-pity. He embraced where he was, and he prospered. A shepherd knew every individual sheep in his care. He did what was at his hand to do. Number four, his hands were taught to war. In other words, he took the sling, and he practiced defending the sheep in his care. He was not afraid of the lion or the bear. And he wrote Psalm 17, verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David wrote that out of his own experiences. We get these same experiences in our lives. He was spending time in the Word. This is a representative of spending time in the Word, learning our weapons of warfare. The Scripture says in Psalm 144.1, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Ephesians 6.17, Jesus is the Word. Hebrews 4.12, the Word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus being our example, who didn't just tell devil, leave me alone. I tell my kids, don't just, fit. you cannot answer the, the spirit. If there's a spirit, lying spirit speaking to you, you cannot answer it in your head. You have to speak it out of your mouth. You have to tell the enemy to leave. And we have to use the word because the devil knows the authority of the word. And Jesus purchased for us the word of God being shed upon the cross, his blood. He is the word, Jesus himself, the bread of life. And, he, and when he purchased, everything he purchased has been given to us. We have the signet ring of the king. And we have all the authority that comes with it. You know, the scripture tells us there's three heavens. We've got the heavenly realm that we have. We have the, where the birds of the air are and, and, and the trees and everything and the air and the clouds. Then you have the second heaven where the stars, the sun, and the moon. And the third heaven where God is. Scripture says that Jesus passed through the heavens. There's more than one heaven. And Satan says he's the prince of the power of the air. Jesus purchased everything on the cross. When he went to the cross, the scripture says that the bulls of Bashan compassed him round about. What was that, a bull? No, that was a demon. Those were demons that compassed him, that were taunting him, were mocking him. The bulls of Bashan compassed me round about as he was hanging there on the cross. And yet the, Satan has got a force that is a spiritual force you cannot fight in the natural we have to fight him in the spirit. He knows the word. When the word is spoken with the authority, he has to bow his knee and he has to flee. And we have the power of the king, and he wants to raise us up in us warriors. An army. He's raising up warriors. When there's oppression on you, you don't sit there and put up with it. Don't put up with it for a minute. God purchased, Jesus purchased on the cross. He died hanging on a cross naked 
so that you don't have to walk in oppression. He had a crown shoved in. That wasn't just sitting on that crown right there, those, those nails. Thorns went into his skull. You do not have to put up with mental torment. We don't have to put up with it. The Lord is raising up warriors for him. And in Jesus' name, you might have to stand on a chair. I used to have to do that. Because the devil, I, you know, he says, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee. We try to resist the devil, and we say, well, he's not fleeing. We have to submit and ask the Holy Spirit if there's anything we're doing that's opening a door. Once you submit, you resist, he has to flee. And I have, I have friends that say, oh, he just, yeah, that, yeah he says that, but he, they, he just keeps coming back. And so I don't really want to press in because he's just going to come back. We have to get a backbone. The devil's going to keep coming back until he realizes you're not giving up. You're not letting go. Amen? We have to keep on keeping on. And he has to flee. That's the thing. I used to be in my house sometimes, and I, I would be so oppressed I couldn't get out from under it. I would stand. I would get a chair. And I would do an illustration. I would stand on that chair, and I would start telling the devil he has to leave. And I would yell it. He left. But you know, he comes back. Then you've got to do the same thing again. Because you know what? Jesus purchased. He won, you guys. He's already got the end of the story. But this is the thing. The devil doesn't play fair. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And so you know what we are now? We are enforcers of that which Jesus purchased. We enforce what he's purchased. You're an enforcer. We're like the Terminator. You can't go here. You got to keep getting back up. I'll be back. Because the devil will tell you, I'll be back. You just come back. I, tell, I, I heard somebody preach before, you know, the devil kept coming back and, and harassing me in my sleep and, and disrupting my sleep. And so you know what I finally decided to do? Okay, devil, every time you wake me up, I'm going to go pray for all the lost people in my neighborhood. We have to get aggressive in God. We can't just sit back, oh, woe is me. The Lord has victory for us. Amen. Okay, so David prepared him with the, I mean, the Lord prepared him with those four things. So now he could face Goliath. He learned how to be alone with God. He learned how to go past uh, his, his family to seek God. He learned to uh, take out the lion and the bear. He learned how to serve the sheep with a good attitude. And he learned how to worship on his instrument. And now here he is going to face Goliath. And now we're going to go back to chapter 17, 1 Samuel. And I will wrap it up in here. I know this is a long chapter, so I'm going to skip around. Okay, so uh, let's see. I left off um, on 11. So um, remember the valley and the two mountains. And Israel on one side and the Philistines on the other threatening. Goliath is there, and there's a valley in between. And they're all afraid, not knowing what to do. And Saul is back there hiding in a tent. Okay, so here comes David. David's father tells him, you want, here's some food, here's some stuff. I want you to go to the battle line and bring this to your brothers and bring me back a report as to what's going on. So David goes, he brings his stuff, and he starts hearing what's going on. And he doesn't like it, right? Okay, so that's where we're at. We're going to go down to um, verse 24. Um, above that says, so David heard them. 
And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Verse 25, so the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Not only is this Goliath shedding all these lies to them and being arrogant and boastful, but now they've, he's got them saying it. Have you seen this man? He's so big. Oh, my God. We don't know what to do. Saul doesn't know what to do, right? Okay, so 25. Uh, um, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king, is going to enrich him with great riches and give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes. Isn't that awesome? How many of you would want that? I could use that, right? Who couldn't use that, right? Okay, so not only is, are you going to defeat Goliath, whoever takes him on, but you're going to get the girl. You're going to get the girl. You're going to be rich. You don't have to pay taxes. That's pretty tempting, right? And yet nobody came up to the plate. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistines and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David could say that. Nobody thus far said that. 27, and the people answered him in the same manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep? You little dummy, right? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. In other words, what did he do? He judged him. He accused him. And yet David, David already knew who he was. He had been in the wilderness. He didn't need Eliab's approval. He didn't even need really, he, he, he knew, he didn't even really need his dad's approval. He knew who he was. And he knew that this was a giant defying God's people. You, you don't touch God's people. I can't believe he's doing this and, and you're just all sitting here. So they judged him. His brother judged him. And yet, because of the false accusation, even, even with the false accusation, he wasn't moved. Verse 29, and David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause here? And then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and Saul sent for him. And so David comes in. Then David said to Saul, now, this is uh, awesome because Saul is afraid. He's in a tent, right? And they're saying, bring this kid, bring this person that's saying this. Maybe we could use him. He didn't even see him yet, right? So he comes in, and Saul is all downtrodden. And David, a 17-year-old kid, is now going to encourage the king. David's going to put courage in the king. Let no man's heart fail because of him, your servant, We'll go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him for your youth. And, and, you're, and he's a man of war from his youth. Dominic, you can't go to those schools over at Awani. You can't affect those kids over there. You're just a youth. And what would you say? Uh, it doesn't matter. God has a calling on my life. That's right. All things are possible with God, right? David knew that. And David knew that with God, he could do all things. So he didn't listen to Saul either, the king of Israel. He didn't listen because he knew God. 
Do you see, we don't get moved. When we go through things with the Lord and we allow ourselves to really dig in, dig our own wells and get with God and get into the Word and learn the Word, we don't need people to affirm us. We don't need people to say, wow, that's really good. You're good. You're because if we need that, we're never going to be able to stand. Because the minute people say something negative to us, we're going to fall. We're going to be crushed. God doesn't want that. He wants us to stand strong knowing who he is and who we are in him. Okay, so, verse 34, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard. Can you imagine taking a lion by its beard? And he struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed the lion, both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. It was his only option, man. He's probably like, Well, whatever. Okay, we'll just throw that one out there. Go ahead. The Lord be with you. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Verse 38, so Saul clothed David with his armor and put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword and his armor, and he tried to walk, for he was not, that was not tested. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them all off. So, what does God do? He uses the foolish things that confound the wise. How foolish is it for a 17-year-old kid to run out to a Goliath who is 9 feet, 9 9 inches tall with 100 to 200 pounds of armor on, who is speaking boastfully, and everybody's afraid, and here's this kid running out into the fray with nothing on. Right? He uses the foolish things to confound the wise. The wisdom of man was for him to put that armor on. He took it off. And he took a staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and in his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Five smooth stones. Goliath had brothers. He had a stone for every brother. That's what sometimes they say. There were, he had, I think he had a kid and, uh, and maybe some brothers. I don't know. Leroy probably knows. Um, <laughs> sorry, Leroy. Just put you on the spot. Leroy's back there in the vest with the purple. He's... he's Sorry, Leroy. Okay, I've known Leroy for a long time, by the way. Okay, I just, I used to go to Eaton Elementary. Mary knows Eaton Elementary because Ben went to Eaton Elementary. So did, so did Dominic. All right, so I looked at the pictures. I have the pictures, you know, the class picture. I'm like, there's Leroy. Wow. And there was Rhonda, your mother. <laughs> Trip out on that one. <laughs> Okay, so, so, okay, so he's got his sling. Remember the sling that he learned how to use so well, defending the sheep? So the Philistine came and began to draw near to David, and the man who wore the, the shield went before him. And when the Philistine uh, looked about and saw David, he's probably looking around, where, what's happening? You know, where, oh, there he is. <laughs> he was disdained, and he was only a youth and good-looking. Good, you know, he, it's, they say that more than once. They're probably really irritated that he was good-looking. <laughs> that good-looking kid keeps coming back at us. 43. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? 
And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the, the Philistine said to David, Come to me. Come to me, little kid. I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. See, the devil does this. He lies. That was a lie. I'm sure Goliath fully believed it, but it was a lie, and David didn't bite. He didn't take that bait. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You see, this is the reason why God, he wanted to show Israel who God was. He wanted to be strong for them that day. And David was the only one that was willing to have it happen through him. And we have to choose that God wants to show himself strong every day to all the people around us, those that are saved and not saved, so they can, people that are not saved so they can come to know him. Amen? This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. This is prophetic right here. He begins to prophesy. And I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the field that all of the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then all this assembly shall know. So first it's all the earth and this assembly will know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. This was the lesson that Israel was learning. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. And it was then the Philistine arose and came and drew to meet David. And David hurried, and this is my favorite part, David ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. How many of you guys, we just run to meet the devil? No. Right? And yet he ran. He looked at him, and he didn't flinch. He took his sling. He took his stones, and he knew God was with him. And he ran into the face of that nine-foot, nine-inch giant with all that armor on. He did not care because it was all or nothing, baby, right? And he knew God. God wanted to deliver him, and he prophesied it. And I'm not going to read. Let me see. Let me make sure I don't want to read the rest here. I want to stop short. Yeah, let me just read a little bit more, and then we'll be done. We're in verse um, 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near. Okay, so he ran to meet him. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. And they don't really know if, if because usually they have a, a piece right here from their helmet. So if it struck here, it had to sink through all of that. It was really a, an act of God. I don't, I would not doubt if the Lord, the angels of God did not take that rock and guide it right into his, into his head because it sunk into his head and he fell. Um, but I don't think that he was all the way dead because he cut his head off. So maybe he was just knocked out cold. I, I don't know. Okay. So he fell to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his own sword and drew it out its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Judah shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gate of Ekron. And, they, and the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road um, even as far as Gath and Ekron, and the children of Israel 
returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And this is what I wanted to share, is that our lives are not our own. The Lord wants to create in us a warrior spirit. He wants to encourage us today that if you're dry, he's telling you it's okay. He wants to wash you. He wants to encourage you, but he wants us to get up within, to stand up in ourselves, in God, and begin to proclaim the word of God over our situations. And in the end, when we come out, we come out of the places that are alone places. We come out with power. But here, what happened at the end, when David ran toward this giant, he defeated him. But David was not the only one that got a prize. All of Israel plundered the Philistines. The Philistines ran. And our lives, being a sacrifice to him, becomes a benefit to those around us. That when I submit myself to God and allow him to work in me, allow him to do what he wants in me, Everybody here will get benefited. And when you do it, everybody is benefited because we are a body. And so it wasn't just David that plundered. It was Israel that went and plundered because of what David did. And God showed himself strong. Amen?